So as you can tell, probably Randy is not here this morning. Although he did text me just a short while ago and say, um, it's Father's Day, maybe you should change your sermon. <laughs> well, uh, my, hopefully my Father's, Day, my Father's Day gift to all of you is a short message this morning. Uh, because that is the number one thing people comment on after a sermon. So uh, it was too long. Um, let me just remind us this morning that there's only been one perfect father and his kids rebelled against him in the Garden of Eden. And everyone loves talking about someone else's messed up kids. So that's where we're going to go this morning is um, talking about Adam and, and Eve and uh, being united in Adam. And so if you would please join with me to Romans chapter 5 is where we'll begin this morning. And actually, that's not true. We like talking about our own messed up kids, too. Uh, we just don't like it when someone else talks about our messed up kids when we're, uh, when we're there, I think. Um, so if you would please stand with me as we, uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, we ask that you would open our eyes this morning to your word. Lord, that you would speak to us uh, from this passage of scripture. That we would understand uh, what you would have, uh, the message you would have for us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. So this is Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and following. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of the righteous reign, righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's God's inspired word for us this morning, so you can please be seated. Now, Paul introduces to us this morning uh, Jesus as a, as a type, or he is going to be for us um, a, an analogy uh, to something else. And, and the type that we get for Jesus is Adam. So Adam is a type of Christ, which is, is kind of a funny contrast when we think about it, because um, Adam was everything that Jesus wasn't. But it sort of makes sense, like, if you go to the store to look at, let's say, televisions, right? And you're going, and you're, and you're going, and you're going to check out two different TVs, right? How do you know that one is better than the other, but when you have them both side by side? You know, this one's 24 inches, this one's 65 inches. Uh, this one is in um, standard definition, and this one is high def. You know, this one has, you know... No remote control, and this one's got like 10,000 features, and you can connect to the internet. 
Um, and this one was created in like 1989, and this one was built this year. You know, so we get these contrasts that we, so where we can only see kind of the superiority of one thing by looking at the inferiority of something else. And so that's what Paul does for us here with Adam and Jesus. He gives us a contrast. He says that in verse 14, that Adam, who was a type of the one to come, not that Adam was a perfect example, but that he was similar enough to Christ that we could look at him and understand how good Jesus is by understanding how essentially poor of a type Adam was for us. So if you would, turn with me now to Genesis chapter 3, because we've got to look now at, at where things all went wrong. Genesis chapter 3. So this is probably on page like 2 of your Bible, or maybe, uh, maybe 3, right? Genesis 3, verse 1, and, and we, we come here after God has created Adam and Eve in his own image, and he created them perfectly uh, without sin, and he sets them in the Garden of Eden, and he uh, tells Adam to work it, and the only thing that he's not allowed to do, of course, is to eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And so now in chapter 3, verse 1 comes in, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. It's interesting, right from the beginning, we see that Satan is asking a question that he knows is not true. Did God say you can't eat of, of any tree? She's like, no, that's not what he said. We can eat of any tree except for this one. And then Eve kind of adds her own little interpretation um, to this. We can't eat it. Even if we touch it, we're going to die. Well, God never said that. So, Go back to verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to, be dest- was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So what, what of this sin that we, we make up here? And often we, we think of the, of the fall of Adam, and, and it doesn't really equate in our mind to the devastating effects of the reality of sin. You know, we look at the world around us and we see terrible things happening all the time. And we think, really, is this all really related to 
Um, you know, probably you saw it up on a preschool wall somewhere. There's Adam and an Eve, and there's an apple, and there's a snake wrapped around them, and, you know, it all looks so innocent, doesn't it? You know, uh, but really the problem here is that this is an act of rebellion. You know, this is rebellion at the heart. It's a desire to be like God. You know, and, and I'm not a perfect parent by any means, um, but those of you who are parents, you kind of understand that oftentimes we'll look at somebody, you know, chastising little Billy over here for doing something, right? And, and he does something and it seems to be very innocent and all of a sudden, you know, you, or, or maybe you've said this yourself, you know, if you do that one more time, I'm going to give you a spanking. Have you ever said that? I said that like six times this week, okay? Maybe yesterday I said that six times. Um, and, and we look at this act and we go, well, what's the big deal? She's, she's just... You know, the, the punishment seems to be out of place with the crime. And what the, the problem with this is defiance and rebellion. You know, your kids have to learn how to obey you because if they disobey you in this area, they're going to disobey you in this area. And it's, you know, if, if they're running away from you in the store and you yell at them and tell them to come back and they're not listening to you, well, that seems kind of innocent until they run off and they get lost. Or it seems kind of innocent that they're not holding your hand when you're walking with them unless you're walking with them on the sidewalk and they walk out onto the street and there's a car coming. And so now these seemingly innocent acts of defiance have turned, have developed some very serious consequences. And that's what's happening here. That this seemingly innocent act of defiance is actually introducing into the world sin. Now, you'll probably notice that Adam and Eve weren't alone in the garden. There was a serpent there. Uh, This is Satan. He had already sinned before. Um, So sin itself is not an entirely new concept to the universe. However, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them perfectly. And so they are, because of their decision to sin, they are introducing it into the world. And we see the effects of what happens as they sin. And what they really wanted was to be like God. And we see a whole bunch going on here that at first, when we look at it, doesn't seem to be so apparent. And what happens with sin is that it changes everything. See, it changes their relationship with God. Before God came and they were walking and talking with him in the garden, and now God comes and they hide. They're ashamed of their nakedness. It changed their relationship with each other. If you've ever had difficulties in your marriage, you can blame Adam and Eve. Did you see what Adam did there when God asked him if he took a bite? Well, the woman you gave me, she did it, right? She gave it to me. Uh, So immediately we see blame shifting and we see this tension that arises in the marriage of these two perfectly created beings. Then we see that the relationship with creation is changing as well. The curse that we see later in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the ground is cursed. Having kids is now painful. Work is difficult. They're kicked out of the garden. Okay, and all of this as a result of this seemingly innocent act of disobeying God and of eating of this fruit. Uh, so today we're going to look at, very briefly, three things. Three ways that we are united, not in Christ, but to Adam. How are you and I like Adam? Well, the first way is that we have participated in sin with him. We were present with him through DNA. This is a hereditary problem that we have. Have you ever had your kids ask you where they were when something happened before they were alive? 
You know, like when uh, our daughter will come and ask, like, you know, Mommy, where was I when you guys were married 10 years ago? Right? And what do you usually say? Well, you were just a twinkle in my eye. Right? Uh, you know, where was she? Well, she wasn't here yet, but she was sort of here because she was here through, um, you know, her DNA was there. Half her DNA came from mom, half her DNA came from dad. She was there with us in a way, although she wasn't really there. We think about that in relation to Adam. You know, Adam is our, not just our, um, the, the father of humanity, he's, a, he's our biological father. All of us were present with him. Uh, theologians use this terrible term. They say we were present with him in his loins. Okay? That, that's actually from commentary books. It's, it's, I'm not going to repeat it again. Um, <laughs> but we were there with him biologically through DNA. Adam is our father. This was a hereditary thing. And because it's hereditary, sin comes down to us through our DNA. It's who we are. You know, just like we're powerless to choose our height or our eye color. Um, but many of us have uh, health conditions that are related to our mom and dad coming together. And therefore, we have a problem because of a genetic issue. Um, talk to Dr. Cash about what it looks like to have heart disease and, you know, Almost, what, half of that stuff comes from, from, your, from your family history. Can you do anything to change it? No. no. Sin is like that. It comes down through our DNA. We would just call that the fallen nature of humanity. And there's a lot of things that we wish we didn't get from our families, but we don't get to pick those, and, and unfortunately, sin is one of them. Uh, so, of course, in Romans, in, uh, back in chapter 5, verse 19, it said, By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Note that he doesn't say, by the one man's disobedience, the many sinned. This is actually an identity problem now. You know, it's not that we sinned, but that we were made sinners. Our nature changed. And this is an important distinction. Because, you know, sometimes we want to say, well, you know, I'm a good guy. I just lie sometimes. Doesn't that sound different than, you know what, I'm a liar. There's There's an identity thing there. It's not that we were good and that sometimes we sin. It's that we're sinners. Every once in a while, we might surprise you and do something good. But our identity and our DNA is as sinners. And so it's important to remember that because I can trick myself or we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're better off than we really are. You know, we're reminded constantly through this week of the fallen nature, not of only of humanity, but of creation. And we can look around and, you know, how do these things happen? Uh, how can someone be so bad? Did you catch yourself thinking that this week? How could someone be so terrible as to do something like this? In uh, talking about um, people that c- commit uh, horrific acts, um, there's uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who's the author of, um, you know, he's in The New Yorker, he's wrote, wrote What the Dog Saw and Tipping Point, and um, kind of a pop psychologist, if you, if you will. He says this, he says, each of us have a different threshold for doing something unusual or heinous. The more of these events happen, the lower the threshold gets. The problem is not that there is an endless supply of deeply disturbed young men who are willing to contemplate horrific acts. It's worse. It's that young men no longer need to be deeply disturbed to contemplate horrific acts. So you see, as he's kind of drawing out here the fallen nature of humanity. It doesn't take a terrible person to do horrible things in, in the way that he's phrasing it. And we might turn that around and say, well, really, we're, we're all that bad. 
And the, the, the balance, the, the line between me and this person who I think, you know, I'm the good guy, they're the bad guy, there's, there's really not that much in between to separate from me and them. So there's a sin nature that is impossible to escape. You know, it's everywhere. Remember, we don't have to train our kids how to be bad, right? You don't have to train them how to disobey. You have to train them to obey you. The good news about this is that if Adam is our biological father, right, if if we are passed along this sin nature through our DNA, through genetics, that that means that there is a source problem, there's a, a common universal problem, and that we can have a common universal solution. So Paul says, look, through one man sin entered the world, and through one man life can be attained. If there is a universal problem, then there can be a universal solution. And that solution was the one true Savior. So next, we're united in Adam legally. So he is our legal representative. Think of this as, think of him as having the power of attorney to act on our behalf. You know, Adam was created, again, perfect, sinless. He got the opportunity to obey. And sometimes we catch ourselves thinking, well, if it was me, I wouldn't have done that. Charles Spurgeon says, uh, no. We are, none of us, better than our first parent was. And if the experiment had been repeated in the case of each one of us, it would have ended in the same sorrowful way. You know, in a sense, be glad that it stopped here with Adam. You know, we would also fail as well. This, his sin was transferred to us or given over to us legally. We use the word imputed to talk about something that's given to us in a legal sense. Just as the righteousness of, of Christ, it's not our righteousness, but it was given to us in a legal sense. The sinfulness of Adam was imputed or given to us in a legal sense. You know, and the proof that everyone has sin is that everyone dies. You know, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our final point is that sin isn't just hereditary, it's not just legal, but it's also personal. Okay, sin is personal. We join with Adam in our sin. You know, sin did not stop with Adam. And it's not going to stop with us either. We all fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is blameless. It's not something that we do. It's not just that we sin sometimes, but it's that we are sinners. It's who we are. And we need someone to come and set us free from this condition. But we have to understand that we are united with Adam. We have to own that union with Adam so that we can more fully appreciate the ridiculous, scandalous grace of God through the one man, Jesus Christ. In order to be saved, we must recognize that we have a need for a Savior. Sometimes our our God looks a little too much like us, and we think of ourselves as maybe being uh, on a a better plane than where we really are. Uh, Timothy Keller said that if your God never disagrees with you, then you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. We aren't on God's level. We can't make God us. He is so much better. Just as 
Jesus is so much better than Adam. He's so much better than us. The disobedience of Adam was far outweighed by the obedience of Christ. The sin that we receive through Adam legally, the righteousness of Christ is far superior to that. And the death that comes from Adam is far inferior to the life that comes from Jesus Christ. And so if we are united in Adam, we will die. But the great news of this passage is if we are united in Christ, we'll live. If you want a grace that is greater than all our sin, we have to own who we are. We have to understand that we're united with Adam so that we can be united in Christ in a way that is far superior to any other way. In Christ, we've got a new family. We have new legal status. And we have a new nature all through him. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you have come to make a way when there was no way. Lord, that through Adam we are dead in our sins, that we are stuck. God, genetically, legally, personally. Lord, in every way we are tied together with him through sin and the sin that leads to death. But Lord, because of your act of obedience, because of your death on the cross, God, as we turn to you, we can find new life in you. God, life that is far better in every single way. Lord, open our eyes this morning to our need for you. Father, show us how we fall short. Open our hearts that we might repent of our sin and cling to you, the cross of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.